Isaiah 9, verses 1 to 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Well, friends, good evening. My name's Christopher Ash. I'm one of the members of this church. And I want, uh, just for a few minutes, to speak from a few words at the beginning of the first of the Bible readings that we had this evening. You'll find it printed on the inside front cover of the service sheet. And I want to speak from these words. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. I was once uh, sent a most luscious Christmas brochure. It came from a well-known department store, not uh, very far from here. It was called The Glory of Christmas. On the front, uh, there was a gilded Baroque mirror surrounded by podgy gold cherubs. Rejoice, it said in the introduction. Christmas comes to Harrods, joyful and triumphant, in a blaze of celestial splendor. This year, Harrods is brimming with comfort and joy, overflowing with grandeur and gifts. This is the glory of Christmas. Father Christmas will play angelic host, bestowing presents and bonhomie in his enchanting fairy tale grotto, where beauty and the beast are brought to magical life and so on. And then there was something about the food halls, and then it concluded, let the glory of Christmas ring out. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. But then with a change of tone, come with me, if you will, to two friends of ours, Neil and Liz, a young couple, Christian workers, doing development work in a a corrupt communist country in Southeast Asia. On Sunday, just three days ago, their daughter, Lily, was born prematurely and terribly terribly deformed. 25 hours later, she died in their arms. 
Let the glory of Christmas ring out. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Retail therapy has nothing to say to people like that. And I want to speak with you, if I may, just for a few minutes about what the Christian message has to say to a world in which that kind of thing happens. uh, Christmas can be a very trite thing, can't it? And I really don't want us to be trite this evening. These words, this famous promise, famous from carol service readings, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, they come from the prophet Isaiah. They were penned, spoken and penned seven centuries before Jesus. And if you glance, uh, if you've got it open in front of you and you glance at the verse before, you'll see to whom they were written. And you'll see in the previous uh, verse, verse 1, there's a prophecy that there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, God humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And then there's a reference to Galilee and, and the way of the sea and various other descriptions. And they're all talking about the same place. Zebulun and Naphtali were two of the 12 tribes of Israel, and their territories were up towards the north of the land, up towards what's now the Lebanese border, up towards the, the, the north of the country, all, all around the Sea of Galilee, between there and the Mediterranean, up in that, that kind of direction. And if you lived up there in the ancient world, basically it was a bad place to live, and the reason was very simple. But if you, if you know just a smidgen of, of, of Middle Eastern geography, you'll know that a, a land army invading uh, the land of Israel couldn't come from the west because there's the Mediterranean Sea. It couldn't come from the east because there's a desert. Unless it was coming from Egypt in the south, any other invading army came from the north. So if you were up at the north of the land, you were the people who got hit first, and they did. And in 733 B.C., the army of the Assyrian Empire conquered those lands. Now, I need to explain that the Assyrians, the Assyrian army, was probably the most infamously cruel of all the armies of the ancient East. And there was some competition for that distinction. And so to say that these people walked in darkness meant this. It meant that the young men, the warriors, found themselves impaled on spears and carried aloft in screaming agony into captivity and and, and mostly death. It meant that the women folk were raped. It meant that the survivors were deported to a land in which they were stateless, homeless, and absolutely without rights. That's what darkness meant to them. People who walked in darkness. And there are plenty of places in the world today where that's what darkness means, that kind of physical misery. And if you go through darkness like that, you long for a savior. And this prophecy in Isaiah is a prophecy that one day a savior will come. Those famous words, unto us a a child is born, a son who's going to be a king, the government will be on his shoulders. And the point is that he's going to be a a, a king who saves and rescues people who walk in darkness. And we understand that language for human beings. A couple of decades ago, after Nelson Mandela was released from prison, they had a big rally in a stadium in Soweto. And the person leading the rally welcomed Mandela. He said, Comrade President, here are your people. 
gathered to pay tribute to their Messiah, their Savior, whom the apartheid regime failed dismally to silence. These are the comrades and the combatants that toiled in the valley of darkness. And now that their Messiah and Savior is released, they want to be shown the way to freedom. It was those kinds of longings that this prophecy would have, would have, would have, would have met. Well, Nelson Mandela was a very great leader. But what Isaiah is talking about is something deeper than something that any purely human figure can do. And the second half of Isaiah's verse here speaks about a land of deep darkness. And those words, deep darkness, mean something like the shadow of death, which is how it's translated in the New Testament. And it means this. It means a land not only in which things are grim, but a land in which everything comes under the shadow of death. Now, friends, I, like I guess most of us, have been brought up. I've lived all my life in a land that's never been invaded by anybody like the Assyrians I've never worried about where the next meal's coming from. I've never worried about where I'm going to spend the night and warmth and clothing. I've lived in a land of peace and, by and large, of justice. I have no idea of the kind of darkness that these guys experienced. And yet the shadow of death is inescapable. Isn't that right? Each of us lives in the shadow of death. I've been reading a book. I'm, I'm reading a book at the moment about depression. Which is, which is entitled by the writer, looking up from a stubborn darkness. Some of us know what that is, the, the inward darkness of a troubled mind. Others, uh, others of us know what it is to have the darkness of the shadow of death falling on us or on, on someone we love. The shadow of death, deep darkness, it means you go to a wedding and in the midst of the rejoicing, you remind yourself that one day, some years hence, one of that happy couple will stand weeping at the grave of the other. Deep darkness means living in a world where any day the doctor could diagnose a life-threatening disease for you or for somebody you love or for me. The shadow of death. Albert Camus, the French uh, atheist philosopher, about half a century ago, he said that there are, there are times when our work... Uh, from which we get our sense of identity. You know, what do you do? My work, that's the great London question, isn't it? That's who I am, is what I do. He said, there are times when I look round at my work and I see that it's like the painted set in a theater and the painted set collapses and I look behind it, hoping that somewhere in what, he, what Camus called the spiritual deeps, hoping that I'll find something behind the, the, the outward facade of this world. What happens, he said, if I look into the spiritual deeps where we always believe meaning to be and we see nothing, bear nothing? That's darkness. That is deep darkness. The darkness of a troubled conscience with no possibility of forgiveness. The darkness of a troubled mind. The darkness that faces the misery of my own selfishness, the darkness that cannot escape from, from the power of bad habits or addictive behavior, the misery of that. And this promise comes to people like that. And for seven centuries, the guys who lived in that region had nothing but this promise to hold on to. Life was pretty miserable under the Assyrians and various successors. And then seven centuries and a bit later, 
A child was born. A boy was born. Lots of light and stuff when he was born. But when he grew up, he chose to spend most of his public life not in Jerusalem, the place where the powerful and religious people were, but in Galilee, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, which then, as 700 years before, was a marginalized place full of messed up people. If you were born and brought up in Galilee, you didn't boast about that. People laughed at your accent. They despised you for living there. And yet this man chose to live there. And in his gospel story, Matthew tells us, and we had it in our last reading, that the reason he chose to go there for most of his public life was to fulfill this prophecy. And because God brings, dark, brings light to those who walk in darkness. He didn't go for the most part to the people who thought they were happily walking in light, the self-righteous upright, moral, self-confident people. He went to the people who knew that they walked in darkness and knew that they needed light. And as he walked around Galilee, he put the shadow of death into reverse. So a man with a a life-destroying skin disease touched him. He touched the man, and instead of the skin disease being transferred to Jesus... Jesus' cleanness was transferred to the man. He, he turned up at a funeral where a poor woman, a widow, was, was lamenting the death of her only son. He spoke to the corpse, and the corpse woke up and came to life. He put death into reverse, the shadow of death, deep darkness. And as he walked around there, light shone. And if you said to somebody who lived in Galilee in those two or three years, have you seen the light? You were not asking them, have you had some subjective experience spiritually that wishy-washy people have, but hard-nosed people don't have. You were asking, have you, the answer is yes, I saw the light yesterday, and so could you tomorrow if you go to the right village. You can see him, you can hear him, you can watch what he's doing, putting the shadow of death into reverse. And as he traveled, they thought this was, this, this was the beginning of the, of, of, of the, the age when darkness was no more. And then something very shocking and surprising happened. As this man who who pushed back the shadow of death and brought light and life to hopeless and helpless lives, as he did that, the shadow of death began to fall on him. And the proud people hated him. And the religious people hated him. And the self-righteous people who thought their lives were okay hated him. And they plotted to kill him. And at the end, they did to him pretty much what the Assyrians used to do to their enemies. They stripped him naked. They hung him up to die a death of agony and shame. And as they did that, those with eyes to see began to realize that the price of the light and life that he offers to those who follow him was the darkness that fell on him himself. And that he was paying the penalty and the price and taking the misery of sin upon himself. So the shadow of death and the darkness that there there was at midday at the cross, that was the price that God paid in the person of his son to bring light to those who, who walk in darkness. And now the Lord Jesus says to you and says to me, 
He doesn't say to us a trite thing. He doesn't say, you're walking in darkness, come to me and everything will be fine. No, he says to us, come and follow me and walk in my footsteps. And as you walk in my footsteps, you too will go through darkness. Like that couple, our friends Neil and Liz in, the, in, the, in Southeast Asia. You too will suffer. You too will, will in, in some measure, know what it is to follow Jesus Christ, the man of sorrows. It's what it is to be a Christian. But as you do that, you will do that knowing that the light has shone in Galilee those 2,000 years ago. And that that light that shone in Galilee was a, a foretaste and an evidence and a proof of the light that will finally shine on all who have followed him. And that is a wonderful thing. Christian people sing at Christmas and at other times, not because the present is wonderful, because very often it isn't. Christian people sing because the future is glorious. And the Christian good news is to say to, to, to us, if you're a Christian person, be reminded of this. If you're not as yet a Christian, this is the Christian good news. Follow the man of sorrows who walked through darkness for the sake of others. And as you follow him, you will know the light of hope, the forgiveness of sins, and the assurance of one day living in a renewed creation, a renewed heavens and earth, in which evil will be banished forever. That is a wonderful, wonderful truth. And if you're here this evening and you're not uh, a Christian believer, may I say how lovely it is to have you here and what a privilege it is for me just to have these few minutes to speak to you. And I want to say to you, don't rest until you've found out whether these things are true. And if these things are true, join the rest of us. We're a bunch of no-hopers. We're, we're a bunch of moral misfits and disasters. We're a bunch of walking wounded. Join us. Join us following the one who brought life to those who walk in darkness.